0: Ecclesiastes 9, chapter 1, but all this, I'm sorry, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 1, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is all the same, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more regard for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go. Eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white, let not oil be lacking upon your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in the grave or shield to which you are going. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let me pray for the blessing of the preaching of it. Lord, help us to be submissive under your word. Help us not to fashion a world after our desires, a fake world, a world that will not endure. world that has no blessing to offer, but, Lord, may we live in the world that you have made, to live according to the rules that you have established, and to seek, above all else, to glorify and enjoy you so that we might, even in this short life that you have given us, be blessed. Lord, grant us such blessing that comes from the knowledge and from the experience of being in fellowship with you, our God and Creator. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. If you knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the day of your death, if you were to see it, how would you live? We live among a people who are terrified by the end of their lives, such that they stretch their faces beyond any recognition. The celebrity that you once recognized is no longer the celebrity you knew from that one role. And they may think they're fooling others. They're not fooling themselves. It seems that we live even now in an age where we are governed by something of a cult of youth. We seek the advice even of our children as to what kind of people they wish to be. We ourselves have midlife crises. We are always seeking to stave off, it seems, the knowledge, the impending doom of age, of death, and the end of our lives. And not only that, but Solomon writes that we are not only aware of the day of our own death, but we are also very much aware of the reality that we are not God, we are not sovereign, we are not in absolute control of our lives. And this can create a a kind of individual who endures much psychological distress, or it can make you happy to know that we are to leave the weightier, mystical things in the hands of one who can actually handle such things. In Ecclesiastes 9, Solomon shifts from how we are to think of the life that we have been given to the death that comes to all of us, righteous or unrighteous. And there is no hack, there is no cheat code that we can enter to make it less so. There is no eternity in a bottle, there is no fountain of youth, there is but the grave and it is open and it is a yawning pit and good news. You're closer today to it than you were yesterday. I'm here to deliver the good news. (laughs) And that in light of this, that our lives are short, but they are beautiful, though our lives are short, though we are not sovereign, God has given to those who would seek it the approval to go and enjoy it. How do you not enjoy a day like today, knowing that it may rain tomorrow? Well, don't worry about that. For else it says in the scriptures, tomorrow has enough problems of its own. Live for the day. How do we do that? Well, we acknowledge that death is coming, and in light of that, we live as though we are dying. Those two points I want to focus on this evening. Death is coming. And then secondly, live like you are dying. Let's look at that first point. Death is coming. I would put it this way. Funerals are our future. You acknowledge this uh, when you get to the point where all of the people that you graduated with in college, um, you are going to more and more and more funerals. Every time I talk with my dad on the phone now, uh, he has been on some weekend or some weekday to the funeral of a friend. He's 71 years old, and that's what starts happening. My grandfather attended many military funerals of many men who served with him in World War II, It is the same end. Now, for the young, we are not as confronted by this reality. Um, When that car is shiny and new, it's hard to think about the day of its falling apart. Everything tends to rust, decay, dust, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. And we all enjoy a similar position of humility and creatureliness before the Father. And Solomon would have us understand that it is both the righteous and the unrighteous that stand equally before God as creatures. That you don't beg, borrow, and steal in your piety some secret to eternal life. Now, What I mean by this is not you die and that's it, but you have but one life to live, one life. And what you do in this life is connected to the life that is to come, but we have but one life. Now in Romans chapter 9, Paul is speaking in the language of epistles, New Testament epistles. When he speaks of the sovereign electing choice of God, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, and the sovereign electing choice of God prior to the birth of either of these sons. And that God loved the one and hated the other. Hate here referring to God's covenantal cursing of Esau. Esau was not part of the family of the seed of the woman. And you ask the question, why? And Paul says, that isn't the right question. And it has a, is a question that has no answer that you and I are able to grasp or deal with or are owed by God who is the, cl- uh, the potter and we are the clay. That's an absurd thing. If the clay were to look at the potter and say, I really wish to be a vase, not a mug. What? What? What a thing. And here we are, in the Old Testament covenantal language of Solomonic wisdom, not Pauline theological expression, written a similar theme, and that is, God is sovereign, but all this I lay to heart, verse 1, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. It's all playing out upon the stage, and the stage is held by God. It's a, it is a picture of his sovereign power. In fact, actually, Scripture speaks of his right hand. It's the same for all, verse 2, since the same events happen to the righteous and the wicked. Solomon isn't talking about the afterlife. He's talking about this life. And what he is saying is if you look at the lives of the righteous and the wicked, and if you pump enough data, what you find is parity. They're very similar. And if you think in your wickedness you can leap out of the hand of God and move outside of his sovereignty, you're wrong. Or if you're righteous that somehow through your righteousness you can force the hand of God to bless you, you are also wrong. His hand is here, it is fixed, his decrees have been laid down, and we are to live as though we are not sovereign. Righteous or unrighteous, there is no escape from the hand. And not only that, but righteous or unrighteous There is none who can escape death, whether clean or unclean. And so we need to lay this to heart. When you wake up on Monday, you are closer to the grave than you were on Sunday. Now, for the believer, what this ought to do is inspire you to make the most of the time that you have, because death is not the enemy. But to the unbeliever, they see death as a hard stop, a bookend, and they have no confidence of what lies beyond the great gray veil. And so what do they do? They ignore. They seek to buy their way out of it. They seek to alleviate that crisis, that fear, and they engage in all manner of wickedness, but still, the hand. The hand holds them. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same events happen to all. It is an evil, isn't it? Adam and Eve were made by God to delight in the sacrament of the presence of God But when they rejected God's call to obedience and they were thrust out of the garden and separated by the angel with the fiery sword, they were cut off from that source of eternal life and that covenantal sacrament of God's holy, life renewing presence. And so they began to drop like flies. And so, in light of this reality of the sovereignty of God and the coming of death, we look at verses four through six. But he who, what, who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. What is the lion, children? He's the king of the jungle. But what is a dead lion? He's food, <laughs> he's a free meal, he's carrion for the vultures. And any animals that don't mind eating something that's a day or two weeks old. He's nothing. He has no power. Such is the way we look at death. To be alive and poor is better than being dead and rich. In this way, death is the great equalizer. And it reminds us of what? That it's coming. And you cannot save enough, buy enough, delight and indulge enough to work your way out of this coming, I say fate, providence of death. And because we are not revolutionaries, we do not seek to ignore or work our way out of or convince God that we deserve some other fate, but we say thank you. And we go about our way, and we recognize this, that life is for the living. And that in life, what we are given by God is an opportunity to multiply, to labor, to serve in such a way that we lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. In fact, a very popular question is posed to many in the work of Evangelism Explosion, if you were to die tonight, dot, 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 why do we ask the question that way? Because if a choice is not made prior to death, there is no choice. That choice is removed. That there is a, a mission, a calling in life that the, death, the dead do not share, and that is to seek salvation in Christ Jesus to serve the Lord with the life that you have and to leave to him the days that he has numbered for us. But boy, we can waste a lot of time wondering, worrying, seeking to determine how many days we have. And I would say to you this, no one knows, no one can predict. We can only plan, give those plans to God, hope and work hard You will all die with projects halfway done, whether it's a stone wall or the filling of your bank account, the raising of children, whatever it may be. We can plan, but those plans ultimately belong to God. And there is ultimately no glory in death, only in the resurrection. And that the lowliest animal on the food chain is better off and the one who is at the top but has no life. Now, here is something also to be true that we need to see is true, that you can be dead while alive. This is a very real way in which you can absent yourself from the productivity of a godly life by not dedicating it to the Lord, and it would be better, Solomon says elsewhere, had you never been born. Think of Judas. The betrayer. The scriptures speak of him as one who it would have been better had he never been born. But a traitor, a traitor to Christ himself. And though given the gifts, the glorious interpretations of the prophets by Jesus' own mouth. What a discipler Christ was. And yet Judas denied him. There was a dead lion if there was any dead lion. It's better to be a dead dog. I mean, it's better to be, I'm sorry, a living dog than a dead lion. Maybe we should get some t shirts. Living dog. (laughs) It's okay to be lowly. Now, for the obstinate, there are two serious problems an awareness of one's own humanity, and every man knows it, knows he is not God, and awareness of one's own fragility. That death is the end for all men. And the obstinate and ungodly, they rail against such knowledge and they seek to build a world and a life view, if for only a time that exalts man beyond his station. This is the reason and motivation for the abuses of power on earth. This is the reason and motivation for the widespread emotional crisis among those who ignore it most severely. Humanism, secularism, hedonism, they are all attempts to push off the limits of our humanity. And then when man seeks to exalt himself, he is doing so conscientiously in order to build another Babel, over and over and over again. And we have not learned our lesson, have we? But the only hope is repentance and faith in the one who dwells above the sun. Verse 6, their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. But think of the covenant community of the saints in heaven and on earth, the share that Abraham has in our faith. Think about that. This is why the scriptures speak of the saints as as a living temple made up of living stones now, this is just a church house. Yesterday, we were some of you were pressure washing the stones out there. But they don't move. They're inert. Once they're laid, you, well, you hope they don't move. <laughs> Something is wrong if they do move. They don't breathe. We are the church. And we live and we move and we have our being in Christ Jesus. And for whatever days he has given us, he has called us to labor with the absolute knowledge that death is it's right out there, guys. You walk through those doors and you walk towards your death. And young people, this is a lesson you ought to learn very early. You need to know your place. Now, firstly, you live in your parents' house, right? And you live according to your parents' rules. And when you seek to act outside of those rules, what inevitably happens? There is a power play. You have no power Now, you can say, I don't want what you have. And I would say to you, I'm happy for that to happen. (laughs) Spit that food out, take off those clothes, and go live under someone else's roof. And then you realize, oh, oh, this is a costly rebellion. It is a costly rebellion. And for many in the world in which we live, we look at the world around us and we see the wicked and we envy them in their rebellion. But for what reason? What do they have that you don't have? What? What do they have that you don't have? Is there anything greater than the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of Christ Jesus or the gift of the perspective, a humble acknowledgement that death is coming for us all and so we will live as those who are dying, who sit under the sovereign hand of God and we will drink and eat and be merry as the republic crashes around us. Whatever it is, whatever world we're living in, what do you think Christians thought when Rome was collapsing? What were they all saying? Surely Christ will return. His coming must be near. 1,500 years later, Christ has given to us the same commandment to seek to save the lost, to serve him all your days, to remember your place, and that any grace which God displays is out of the rich abundance of his mercy, and it is given to you by his sovereign choice. It's his choice, and he chooses well. So what are you to do as one who sits under sovereignty, who lives but for a little while? Well, that is what Solomon answers next. You are to live as though you were dying, not fatalistically or pessimistically. Live like you will live forever, as though you are no mere mortal. Now, I've quoted him before, and I'll quote him again. In the weight of glory, this is what C.S. Lewis says. I've not read it, I've only ever butchered the quote. <laughs> there are no ordinary people, Lewis says. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is ours or to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. That means, children, frowny face. We get a reputation of this as Presbyterians, don't we? That's too bad. Although I've not found it to be true. This does not mean that we are perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of that kind. And it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. We know the game. We know how to play. We know the truth. And despite the difficulty of the truth that our lives will not live or go on forever, here we are not mere Mortals. And so when Solomon says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do, there are a group of fundamentalist Christians who go, Whoa, whoa, whoa. That needle is tipping into the fun green part of the gauge. What are you doing? How will people know that you're a serious Christian? Because we live, we eat, we drink, we delight in the good things of life as though they are gifts. They're not ultimate. They are gifts from God. We do not use them to hide behind. But we are those who use them well. As Francis Schaeffer writes in the Christian Manifesto. If you want a book to read this summer, read the Christian Manifesto. The reason why the world so often despises the work of the church is because the church so often has nothing to offer the world but solemnity. And it's oftentimes, I think, because we have nothing to rejoice in. We, we lose that perspective. But here Solomon isn't he isn't moving into a sort, of, a sort of syncretistic marriage between humanism and Christianity. It is only the Christian who can eat and drink and celebrate well. Why? Because we have something to celebrate. And as many churches say at the outset of their services, Christ is risen, and the congregation says, He is risen Indeed. That ought to play into everything we do. Live as those who are already approved. Now, when Solomon says already approved, he doesn't mean everything, that God is somehow tolerant even of our sin, but that God approves of our merriment in this life. It's good. Yesterday, I imagine, it's a Saturday, Many of you came and we worked on the property here. Some of your muscles were sore. And you said, you know what? I'm going to relax. I worked hard this morning. And the Lord says, go relax. Well done. In fact, to each and every saint who enters heaven upon the occasion of a life well lived, what does Christ say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. And what is the offer? It is an eternal inheritance that outshines the sun. Christ wishes for us to be joyful in the labors even of a temporary life. I remember as a child, okay, a teenager, I was taking a nap on a Saturday. And my dad came in woke me up, and he walked me outside, and there in the driveway was a 1987 Ford F-150, solid red. And I went, okay, and he threw me the keys. And I went, okay, I get it. And I drove that truck to school for many years. Gosh, it was a great truck. It was the reward of many Saturdays spent outside, spreading pine straw, clipping hedges, and keeping my mouth shut. (laughs) 60, 70 hours a week my dad would work. I knew not to complain. Now, I may have done it in my heart. (laughs) but I didn't do it with my mouth. But the Lord, he loves to give gifts to his children. Look at this building. Why does a church want to repave a parking lot? Because we honor the Lord with the upkeep of our property. And then when we've done that, we can rejoice and we sit down and we have Little Caesar's pizza together. And we sit around and we just talk. And we talk about ideas. And it's sweet, isn't it? And you will remember those days for the rest of your life. I will. I remember the children who've been born of this church. I remember the the adults who have died while here. I know the children who have died. Eat, drink, and enjoy life. And then he continues, verse 8: Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking upon your head. Be blessed. This is religious covenant renewal language. Allow yourself to rejoice in the knowledge that you are a child of God and in him you are approved both in what you do and in who you are as one who is an adopted child of God. And then verse 9. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil in which you toil under the sun. Marriage. Marriage, this incredible gift of God. Enjoy your spouse. Get married if you can. (laughs) And enjoy her. Now, of course, the other side of that is him. Commitment in marriage speaks to contentment in providence. In fact, the Christian can be happily married because he knows that like sovereignty and death, the permanence of a marriage covenant is not something to be intimidated or something to be feared but embraced. In fact, in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon chapter 8, in fact, let's go there. Song of Solomon, chapter 8. It's the last chapter. She's singing or writing poetry to her husband. Set me as a seal, verse 6, upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave, its flashes are flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord, many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Marriage is meant for our sanctification and our protection. Marriage is a kind of death. That is not a pessimistic statement. That is not a complaint. There is nothing greater. There is nothing more limiting, right? This one person for the rest of your life. But there is also something, nothing more liberating. Forsaking all others. Do you know how liberating it is that everyone else is taken off the table? I don't have to worry. No more playing the field. No more wondering, have I made the right choice? Guess what? The choice is made. (laughs) Make the most of it. You see, we live in a world where we're always going, wait, 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 wait. Should I have got the one with the leather trim? Should I have bought this house? And there is this constant crisis going back and forth and back and forth. It's the upgrade cycle. And there are so many young who are trapped in it. You don't get to trade your spouse like you upgrade your phone, and yet we live like it. There are many cultures, there are many countries in this world where they actually have 10-year marriages. That's the contract. And for many, 10 years is probably already too long. Marriage is even itself a gift that is given to us by God that is an impermanent, earthly institution that teaches us to be content and to labor in the narrow choices that we have made and it is a gift so graciously given to men that we might point our spouses and they us to Christ as the ruler of all things love teaches us our limits It requires self-denial. It requires that you die. And so when you say I do to that person, you say no to a million other things. And you learn to be content with it. And it does take learning. And then you have children. And once children come, guess what? So many other things are taken off the table. That boat? No. The nice couch, well, don't buy nice furniture if you have small children, right? <laughs> they destroy everything. But do you know what you learn? It's worth it. The scriptures say children are a blessing from the Lord. We hate our children in this culture, we hate marriage, we hate children. We hate, we hate, we hate. Why? Because we are not content to live within the confines, the boundaries of the world that God has made. And we push and we resist and it doesn't create liberty. What does it create? Absolute emotional psychological breakdown. Millions and millions and millions of tons of psychosomatic drugs are pumped into our bodies every year. Why? Because of the simple principle that in Christ you are approved. And through Him you can live a limited, happy life. True joy... And that you can live with a woman all of your days, and you can understand that she is your portion, and that she is always and will ever be a gift from God to you that you do not deserve. And so, he continues whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. That's death, that's the grave. It's not hell, it's the grave. We're all going to the grave. Live like you're dying. Live as though an end is coming. Stop trying to hack the system. Stop searching for cheat codes and play the game. Work hard. Not bootstraps righteousness, but whatever God has given to you, do it well. It's your first job. What do you expect? Do it well. It's your first kid. You're going to make mistakes. And everyone out there has advice, right? You need to let them cry themselves back to sleep. No, no, no. You need to put them in the bed. You need to sleep. No, and it's just... And oftentimes we're paralyzed by the advice of all of these people outside of us. Make your choice and seek to honor the Lord. You are made by God, you are made for God, and so delight in Him in all your ways. Acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Let me put it this way it's God's music, He created the tune. So sing and play in harmony, and you will not only make good music, but you will love the music that your life makes. Do not be the ding, 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 the little key that's out of tune, but learn to play the song that God first began in the creation of all things. Join in the melody, in the harmony, in the beauty of what God is doing. In fact, whatever you do, Solomon says, whatever your hand finds, do it with all your might. Do it as under the Lord. And I will say this, it is a contagious and it is a converting way to live. People will look at you and so glorify your Father who is in heaven. Men will watch, they will learn, and they will be convinced that you've got the right thing. Not all of them, but some of them. Parents, fathers, let your children see that you have a father whose orders you obey. And not begrudgingly, but joyfully. Let God have the command room. Let death sit right where it is. And before that time comes, however long you have, live faithfully. Let's pray. O Lord our God.